This episode of the Guiltless Podcast is brought to you by Black Cat Barbershop. Open since 2018 and just voted by Scene Magazine as the number one barbershop in Cleveland. Black Cat Barbershop houses the absolute best barbers in the city with over 30 years combined experience. Black Cat offers a variety of services for all possible clients ranging from haircuts, beard trimming, close razor shaves, color consultations, and a variety of other packages. Located at 5405 Detroit Avenue and available for online bookings at www.blackcatbarbershop.com. You can also check them out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make your appointment with Black Cat Barbershop today. So, did you know there's a mayor of East Cleveland? I thought maybe this was to be something to ask you. I didn't know this. That East Cleveland is a city? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't cities know. have mayors? I, I didn't. I only know this because I saw an article about the the, the mayor of East Cleveland um, was under, like, a recall for some fraudulent spending, you know, the typical... Sure, sure, corruption you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, of course. You know, all of a sudden, you know, $10,000 is gone and it was spent on Uber Eats or some shit like that. Um and for eat. some reason, I couldn't get past. I didn't even read the, the the political aspect of it. I couldn't get past. Why do we have a separate mayor for East Cleveland? Well, why do we have a separate city for East Cleveland? I mean, obviously, if you grew up in East Cleveland, you would have strong opinions on that. Um, I'm sure. But for the longest time, obviously, it's just one of many kind of regionalism topics we should be talking about, right? About consolidating uh, municipalities and things like that. And um, there's long been talk about kind of bringing East Cleveland into the Cleveland fold. It's just there's like fourteen thousand people. Because then I, again, I'm still not entirely sure if this guy got past the recall because I couldn't get past that there's an East Cleveland that we're just identifying as a, a separate entity. It's fifteen right. minutes away. <laughs> like I was looking right. at some of the uh, the landmarks. I'm like, well, I Lake, know where that Lake, is. I was in very another. close to Cleveland and it's separate. Yeah, but like I can get into downtown on the short way. It takes me like ten right. minutes. <laughs> well, I I spent um, sixteen years in Columbus. As, you know, uh, that city gobbled up municipality after municipality, you know, Mm. which is why Columbus is such a large, geographically speaking, city, because they essentially threatened you. You know, they took away your water rights or I forget whatever heavy heavy hammer they used to kind of take you over. Um, But there are still holdouts like Bexley and and places like that where it's like, no, it's we're still separate. Yeah. Well, and then I started, yeah, then I started, there's a mayor of Lakewood. There's, I, I guess my problem is that they didn't take time to just name it something else <laughs> as opposed to just other Cleveland. You Are you know? okay with Cleveland Heights? I don't know why, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, now you're going to pick holes in it, which, sure. and, and you're right to. You're absolutely right to. But uh, I, I couldn't get past that because it was just East Cleveland. It's like, not, it's like when we named West Virginia, like we weren't even trying. Or they weren't trying. I wasn't involved. What about New York? Named after Old York. Yeah, this can or go just on. York. It can go on forever. <laughs> you know, New Mexico. Wasn't really all that new. Hmm. I don't think it is either still. So, um, well, thanks for coming. Uh, I know you're busy. I do appreciate, um, and I kind of figured you would do this, is showing up on time. Uh, <laughs> I kind of figured you would. Um, but I've had, you know, there's, I usually give about a 30 minute window of, uh, you know, they'll be here, you know, comics are usually on their own time or just flat out forget. I also didn't have to send you four reminders. Nope. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, I have to send multiple reminders depending on who. I, not, I know a lot of them are just busy and do a lot of stuff. But uh, I was confident. I gave you that benefit of the doubt before meeting you that I was not going to have to do that with you. Nope. Here you are uh, showing up at three fifty nine. I am punctual. Uh, you know, in case you have like a, a flat tire or something out of your control, and, and even then, I would probably let you know that obviously I'm running late. But no, I feel like uh, you set a time. It's you know. You're here for it. That's a lost art. I feel like it's a it's one of those things that I, I run into frequently, but nothing that I really care that much about because this occurs in my house. So worst case scenario, I just go upstairs and watch TV. Right. Um, but Douglas Tradner, thank you again for coming. Um, you're a you're a, a kind of I mean, well, you're definitely a first for me in terms. I mean, I've talked to different like writers and like authors and, and people that that have you know obviously written articles, books, things like that, and you've done both. Um, but you are. Three-time New York Times bestseller. That's correct. That's uh, incredibly impressive. Uh, I, it's a. Uh, I mean, believe it or not, I haven't had a lot of uh, bestsellers on the <laughs> on this. Po- I don't even a lot of strong readers that have come on this <laughs> right, podcast. Right. But that's a uh, that that's as I was. You know, we talked about like doing some research. I've I've always known about you, and I've known your name. I think a lot of people know your name just because of like we were talking before we started recording. Just you know the the experience and the time that you really kind of put in. Um, but. When I was kind of looking, and actually I found this out because I was I listened to uh, an interview you did a couple of years ago, and that's how I found out that you used to be a public defender. True. Which is, again, it's just such a far cry from what you're doing right now. Um, but you, it sounded like you mentioned it earlier, and in the interview that I listened to, that it was, and like you said, I think by, you said just, it's by design. It wasn't, you know, chasing this or making a change. It was, your goal was to just not be a lawyer. Oh yeah, I knew I knew being a lawyer was not a good fit. Soon after after doing it, the good news is like I actually fell into not fell into again. Um, I chose uh, a legal job that I knew fit my personality, and that was like we said, being a public defender. Uh, you know, I'm a bleeding heart liberal. You know, these are people I went to law school with. A lot of them I, I, I interned there. Um, when I graduated and passed the bar, I, I got a job there. Um, so, as far as that job went, it was probably the best you know law job I could have had for my personality um you know it's a grind being a public defender is one of the one of the hardest legal jobs you'll ever have um you know your schedule is just grueling your client list is you know massive and um and you have no resources you know that that private attorneys do um no yeah i mean there's a much larger there's a larger population who cannot afford legal fees versus ones that can yeah, as I say, we're the, we're the only attorney that's in the Constitution, right? You have a right to a, yeah. an attorney, and if you can't afford one, one will be appointed to you, and, and often that person was me yeah. uh, and my colleagues and my colleagues around the country. Um, and like I said, I, you know, it's trial by fire. You're, you're literally uh, you're representing people within days. You're going to trial within weeks. You're um, doing everything that you always thought you wanted to do as a lawyer, which is a good way to learn pretty quickly whether it's what you want to be doing the rest of your life. It's a rough gig. My yeah. uh, my father was a criminal defense attorney for yeah. in Akron for forty plus years, you know. And you know, it, it wasn't that he didn't want to talk about it, but at the same time, it is like he didn't want to talk about it. I mean, yeah. it was criminal defense. He was doing capital murder. I mean, it was you know, it's it's not something you're like funny story from work today. Like he's you know, he's dealing with people that you know their literal lives are on the line, and uh, that's a hard thing to come out and be like, you know tell me about your day. He's like, you know what? 
it's kind of visceral. It's not like, you know, working at the bank or, you know, waiting tables, something like that. It's just, it's just very, very different because you're, you're literally dealing with someone's livelihood or life. You are. And, and a lot of times you're mad because they're not really helping themselves sometimes, right? You're just like, okay, uh, we're getting continuance. Just do this, this, and this. By the time we, you come back to court, uh, you'll really help yourself out quite a bit, you know? And, and, um, and oftentimes that's, that doesn't happen. Uh, so it's frustrating. You, I know you mentioned like the the schedule and, and and kind of like what you're dealing with, but what about the the system? It's like the way that it's kind of set. Because I've I've done a lot of research on this is criminal proceedings in different countries versus what it is here. And I started doing it, and this is a dumb reason to do it, but it's the only reason that I did is that I saw this movie called Red Corner, and Richard Gere was was uh, accused of murder, and I want to say. He was in like uh, Japan or something like that. Uh, and uh, there's a scene in there where the woman, his lawyer, his appointed lawyer is just like, this is not the United States. Today's Monday. You're going on trial Friday. That's why we got to talk about this. We don't do your continuances. We don't do this. When we find you murder, when we find you guilty, you're going to jail and that's it. You're going to go to jail the second that the, the, right. the judge says guilty. I find you guilty. Sentence you to this. You're going right there. There's no... You know, bail. Right. I was just, I was blown away offense, by some of this. If it's a capital offense, you're, you will be scheduling your execution. You're uh, gone. Yeah. Forthwith. Yeah. We'll we'll have your execution ready for the weekend. Like it's. And then I started looking at some of the different ones. Like obviously the laws are different. Like I don't know. Well, you're probably old enough to remember the uh, like the caning thing that happened in uh, Philippines. The Philippines. Yeah. Like that was a big deal, and everyone's mm-hmm. like. Oh my God! I can't believe this. And zero tolerance. Zero zero tolerance. In some countries, there's an and, and unfortunately, I get a lot of this information from movies. But you know, they're they're talking about like you know, the U.S. will look at you know laws and look at the way that they handle things and say that's bizarre. But those countries, we're actually more the outlier. Uh, and when you look at the world as a whole, the other countries look at us like we think your laws are bizarre. That you guys just tolerate a lot of the things yeah. you tolerate. Well, I mean, I mean, coming from being a public defender and, and working side by side with private attorneys, well, you know, like highly paid private attorneys, you see, you know, day in and day out, the inequitable, you know, <clears throat> application of justice, yes. right? Yes. Um, we can only do so much uh, with our clients because we have 20 of them in one day, you know, whereas this guy has, you know, one client and he's got resources for private investigators. He's got resources for this and that. Focus um, on one for months, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's completely inequitable, and and then the whole the bond thing where you're if you can't pay a bond you're in jail even though you haven't been convicted of any crime, you know you are essentially in jail not essentially you're in jail until your trial, um, so you're already being punished just because you're poor. I've never been able to wrap my head around that. I, I, th- that's something, and I think it's something that most of us have just we. It's just been that's just the way it is, so we don't even really question it anymore. Sure, but it's very odd when you really think like. Why is he in jail if he hasn't been convicted yet? Yeah. It, it's very odd. Just because he can't afford to. He or she can't afford to. They're certainly not a flight risk, you know? They probably don't have a passport, not going anywhere, you know? They're not well, flying to Mexico. We don't even have a passport. <laughs> right. Like, I on. mean, they, yeah. But, but as far as like, kind of like uh, I mean, efficiencies go, uh, the public defenders uh, and the prosecutors um, have this kind of shorthand where we can process, and I uh, process is probably not a great word, but like move through so many cases very quickly. Yeah. Um, where, you know, yes, most of my clients were guilty, um, but, um, you know, the ones who weren't, if there was some weird, you know, thing and we were able to find it, it would be dismissed, like almost immediately. You point it out to the prosecutor, they're like, oh, well, this case is gone, or we'll plead it out to a minor misdemeanor or whatever it is. Um, 
judges are super open, at least back when I was doing it, super open. You go back there, you have a, a conversation with them, talk about what the likely sentence would be for this person, go back out to your client. I mean, the plea deals are done it, within minutes, you know. We get so good at kind of just like moving through so many people that without us, this system just grinds to a halt, more yeah. so than it already is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's... <clears throat> When you think about uh, like some of the high-profile cases, and then some of them go on for years, yeah, literal years. I remember asking my dad about that. Like, why do these take so long? The, the problem with the ones, especially the high-profile ones, everyone knows that everyone's watching, so they'll just continuance, 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 delays, reset, because well, they don't want to miss a beat in front of the entire. Country. Defendants have a right to a speedy trial. Uh, you, you know, if you want to push it. Uh, you have a right to be tried within a certain amount of time. And, and obviously, if mm. you're stuck in, in jail awaiting trial, uh, you're likely going to push Honest. that. Yeah. But when you're out of jail um, or it suits you, um, you waive that right, and these things can go on for, for quite some time. Yeah. Well, just talking about it, I can understand why you got out of it. <laughs> well, I, it was, it, it's that, yes, but it's also, like I said, you know, it's just kind of growing up. Um, did it for six and a half years, <clears throat> you know, and just kind of realizing, well, I mean, like, think about it, you know, like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, deciding what you want to do in, in college, how silly that is. And then, you know, all, like, deciding what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 19 or 18, like, you know, picking a major and doing all that. Uh, my major was English because I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, just didn't want to go into the real world. So I went to, you know, I took the LSAT. I went to law school. Like, just really kind of putting off my – I never, it wasn't because I really wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. I just wasn't ready to, you know, kind of go get a job and be an adult. Um yeah, I had a similar crossroads. I, I definitely wasn't ready. Uh, I picked communications because uh, it seemed like the easier path to me. I didn't want to struggle uh, to not know what I was going to do. I was like, communications, that's kind of broad. And it did. It actually ended up, I can do, it was a lot of presentations and speeches, which I knew I could do. I was like, all right, cool. That I can do. I had to avoid math, too. So uh, Math sucks. Yeah, terrible. Um, but yeah, that's a, yeah. And then you, you, you get out. And then I was like, but I was so bad at undergrad, I certainly can't go to, you know, I can't get my master's, but I couldn't get in anywhere anyway. Right. So. Right. The debt's already piling up. Yeah, like. so I'm like, you know what? I'll just let's just get out there and just see what's what. So, so I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Well. Um. So, for what? Obviously, we talked about just the the the, the switch. So, is this something that you, I mean, if you you uh, um you majored in English, so there was already kind of something there in terms of writing. You enjoyed the writing aspect. Always enjoyed writing. Um. Always enjoyed kind of travel. And writing and journaling and all that stuff um, that, you know, you look back now, 20 years ago, you're embarrassed by your own writing. But, like, always, yes, like, I was an English major. I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed um, kind of making observations, you know, while traveling. And um, But the transition from law to, <clears throat> to writing, um, professionally writing, was really kind of serendipitous. <clears throat> I'll get it. There we go. Um, I quit practicing law, moved to Cleveland, back home. Like I said, I was in Columbus for about 16 years. Right. Moved back home. Um, a relationship fell apart, fell apart down in Columbus, largely because I was unhappy as, a, as an attorney. I mean, like, if you're really being honest with yourself and you're looking at why this relationship, you know, one of the reasons this relationship failed was because you're probably not that, you know, you're not that happy. Yeah. Um, and you're not, you know, and, and that was a part of it. Um, it was a big part of it. It wasn't all of it. Um, so I knew I was moving to Cleveland. I didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to find a sales job in law, 
and they were looking for attorneys who wanted to sell products. Now, you're looking at a guy who's clearly not the guy you think of when you're a you know, salesman, and nor did I think of myself as a salesman ever, uh, nor did I think I'd do well uh, in that role. But, like, it was such a perfect job where I was selling legal research materials to attorneys. And so think about it. This is like we're talking about 1999, 2000, when the only people uh, who could afford uh, legal research was like, you know, the, the big firms that had Lexus, yeah. Westlaw. I mean, these are really expensive products for um, for larger firms. And the job that I took was uh, with a, an independent publishing company that actually owned the code, uh, Anderson Publishing down in, in Cincinnati. They're no longer there. Um, like every other independent company, they were gobbled up by someone bigger. But at the time, they came up with a product where regular guys and gals could afford it. Uh, one, two, three-person shops um, could afford it. And you, it was a CD-ROM-based product where you literally had everything that the big boys had online, but it was in CD-ROM form. And uh, because I was like kind of young enough to understand technology and use a laptop and do all the things, but yet also had the credibility of being an attorney, uh, not just a JD, but like someone who actually practiced and researched and represented clients. It was kind of like one of those things where like, you could apply the use of the product. I would walk into, you know, an attorney and be like, what are you working on right now? (laughs) I'd open up my giant 400 pound laptop, you know, (laughs) I'd I'd crank it up, uh, stand back, you know, it's like smoking (laughs) and sparking. And, like, within seconds, you know, here, here's the, the relevant case law, here's the relevant statutes, but, and they, like, uh, you know, like, their eyes just, like, it sold itself. It really did because it was so affordable for them, and, you know, I was um, doing pretty well, very well as a salesperson, which gave me kind of the, the flexibility and the time to start dabbling with the professional writing. It, that's the benefit of, like, a sales job is that you can kind of make your own schedule, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it can actually free you up. I know a lot of people that have – been in sales and it allowed them to kind of do like a side gig, something that they really like to kind yeah. of like, you know, help with the insanity portion. The problem was, it's like, when do you decide, you know, to, to quit the the big job that's paying all the bills and pursue the side job when yeah. you can no longer live simultaneously? And believe me, the financial difference was, was dra- you know, drastic. What I was making as a writer compared to what I was making in sales was like, it was insignificant. You know, well, good I, thing that's changed. Huh? Good thing that's changed. I mean, it hasn't. It hasn't. <laughs> I think I would still make more in sales. That job. That oh, I, I think so me. too. Yeah. No, like when I first got my, I got my first public, de- uh, uh, plain dealer article. It was about a hundred dollars. Wow, really? Yeah. And w- when was that? What year? Two thousand one. Two thousand one. So, so you talked about making that that jump. So, when you got your first one published, are you still doing the sales job? Oh yeah. So when was the when was the cutoff where you're like, all right, that's it. I'm going after this. Luckily, I was here. Like I had so, you know, we talked about timing when I when I first got here. But so I, uh, when I started writing for the Plain Dealer, in around 2001. Think about it. 2001, still like all union, right? People were making really good money at, at the Plain Dealer. They had a really large uh, staff of regular people. Um, didn't do a great job covering like bars and clubs and things like that. And uh, but. It was all popping, right? Warehouse yeah. District was really coming alive mm-hmm. in, in the early 2000s. They wanted somebody to cover these kind of hot new openings. Well, if you're a union worker, you're not going to go to a bar at 11 p.m. when it's just start, you know, just getting going. Uh, you're going to call them at lunch. Nobody's going to answer the phone, right? <laughs> um, so they were using a lot more freelancers back then. And I was a freelancer and making very little money. And then soon after that, I started writing about food uh, for the free time. So these two jobs started almost simultaneously. We're talking about like two months apart from somebody who had no 
professional writing kind of uh, career or resume. I was doing weekly stuff for the Plain Dealer Friday magazine. I was doing weekly stuff for the Free Times. Um, and, you know, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, you know, 10,000 hours later, you're a professional. And, and, and that's really what it took. It was just kind of doing it and doing it and doing it. How do you, so how, being that you're, you, you had a, a, a law background, I, I know you had the, uh, obviously you had the, the, the English degree, but your work experience was law. So you have to kind of get your foot in the door somehow with whether it be the free times, whether it be the plain dealer. So how do you, is it just submitting, submitting, submitting until they take something? Well, to kind of um, get, to kind of get going. It was, it, it. You know, it's weird because back then you there wasn't as much competition. Yeah. Uh, you know, people ask me how you got started, and I was like, I just I just got started. Yeah. You know, I met a guy who was a photographer, who said, uh, "Well, I, I write, you know, I shoot for the the Friday magazine. They're looking for freelancers." So I'm like, "Okay." I show up for the meeting. I'm assigned a story. If they hated it, I'd be done. You know, they didn't hate it, so they invited me back to the next pitch meeting, um, and you just keep pitching and, and turning in and. Yeah, it, it was really different because there was not a ton of competition back then. Now, you know, it's it's a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It's, 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 I mean, with the addition of social media, it's a, it's a, it's very, very, very different. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I, I tried getting into like, you know, other, other magazines, more national magazines at that time. And I didn't, I didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Um, I did later on when I did have a, sure. a body of work. Actually, but yeah. You know, I always tell like, oh my, like I always went too quick, right? I was like, oh well, I have three stories in the Friday magazine. I'm yeah. Plain Dealer, so clearly <laughs> I'm going to be writing for Esquire you know, <laughs> and GQ uh, next month. That's and that's well, I think that it is that an impact of actually doing something that you did because now you start thinking way in the future and now skies because it's something you like doing as opposed to you should think in the yeah. future. I mean, and you should also maybe have confidence and think you're, you know. Um, think you're doing a good job i mean the the stuff that i submitted it wasn't horrible but like it it was so not on the level you know of what they were putting out there you know, yeah i mean them. experience and then you go back and you look at it, you're like i can't believe i wrote that or yeah. i can't believe i said that or, or i can't just, believe it I was, did this. it was yeah. a dumb idea for the time you know yeah. or like because i have been an editor and you know the biggest complaint an editor has with people pitching them is you haven't done your research you have no idea that we just literally wrote about that you know two months ago or you're pitching gardening and we're food, food bags. Yeah. <laughs> like any number of things that you could get wrong, people get wrong. Um, so always do your research. And, and even though I did do my research, I was a little ahead of my time. No, sure. And I'm glad you brought that because I want to get into that later about almost the, the saturation of, and again, I think that the social media is going to come into that as well. But so what year was it where, or if you don't know the year, it's fine. But when you finally were just like, all right, I am now completely done and I am dedicated full time to writing. Like you, you think you got the body of work or the chops, whatever, or you just like go for it. I no, again, it wasn't, it wasn't really a, a decision that I made. Uh, our company, the one I worked for, the one I loved working for because they were so chill, uh, was bought out. By, oh, so it was <laughs> uh, made for you. Okay. So Lexus, um, I wasn't fired. They just told me that I had to work like a regular, you know, salesperson. Oh, so that flexibility went away. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. The Monday morning sales calls started happening. Mm. And what did you sell last week on a group call with 20 people? And um, so I ended the, the jig was up. Okay. <laughs> as they say. Um, and I, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. Uh, no. Okay. So it was this made for you. Yeah. But uh, still blessing in disguise, I guess, when you look at it, you know, now. It was. Honestly. It was. And, you know, like, I, I'm lucky that I, you know, I never lived beyond my means and yeah, I could afford uh, a pay cut um, uh, to pursue what, 
you know, what I really knew I wanted to do. No, oh, sounds like you had a cool wife because she was like, if you want to do it, do it. Oh, yeah. Well, and she works, yeah, and she is a, is a cool wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in case she listens, throw that in there. <clears throat> so now you're, uh, so now you're, you're, you're writing full time. Uh, what is. When you're doing what you do, and, and I've, I've obviously I've read your work, so I kind of have an opinion on like like the reviews and some of the things too. But are you trying to shape like a style? I, I guess as being a non-writer, how do you kind of, if you want to say, set yourself apart? I know there wasn't as much competition back in the day, but the competition continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. So as you're kind of building, you're not just your 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 credibility, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, but it's also the work still has to be good, which it is. But is it is there a style of writing and what you're doing that you kind of have adopted that you shot for, or is that just the way you write? No, I think, you know, I think as a young writer, you look at writers you respect and you try to emulate them, uh, which – I don't recommend, right? That's not how it should be done, um, but I think that's how most of us do. It's like, oh my god, like you know, it's I, hard not to. I love, you know, you know uh, I used to just love Jeffrey Steingarten in Vogue, or you like Ellen Richman in GQ. These are, you know, for one reason or another, you know, uh, I emulated them because they were ex-lawyers who are now writing about food. But hopefully, you get to a point where you're just you've developed your own style. And you're not trying to emulate them. It's just it's some because it's always forced if you're doing it that way. You know, you're trying yeah. to like. Um, so you know, if I were to look back at some of the stuff I was doing early on, I would you know I would cringe at a lot of it because it's too cute, or too snarky, or too whatever. Um, just like you you are with fashion, I think you go through certain stages too. You know, I mean, even when I had what I would call uh, my own personal style with writing, that's changed. You know, the the more of the world I see, or the more the older I get, or the whatever, like uh, I would hope that it kind of it changes and um, it matures. But well, I I think it nat- time and experience will naturally make it mature, yeah. and it's going to be something that you're more of a fan of. But I mean, yeah, we but all do that. Honestly, I don't think I thought about it. Like I was just too uh, in the moment to think about it because, like like I said, I went from never writing professionally to like having two weekly deadlines, one for the plane dealer, and one for the free times, and and it was just such a perfect time to be writing about Cleveland. So I grew up in Cleveland, grew up on the east side of Cleveland, went away to college, Ohio State, 85. Did not come back until 2000. Um, 85, 95. Yeah. Um, and I came back at such a perfect time, I think, to, to write about this city because of uh, what was happening um, in the entertainment scene and what was happening in the food scene. And I had both of those beats. Yeah. So I never had a shortage of things to write about. Um, I got such an education on the job where it's like you didn't even have time to think about the way you were writing it, but what you were writing about, right? I mean, it was a beat, right? So, you know, does the, does the crime reporter, you know, really think about the way he's writing it? I mean, I'm sure he does or she does. Um, but I was just so wrapped up into like, oh, my God, here's a new really cool club opening up in the warehouse district. Warehouse district. Oh, my God, Michael Simon is opening a restaurant or, or Karen Small is opening a restaurant. Like, so... Uh, in terms of you know timing um, and and topic, it was it was a dream. Yeah, uh, that's it, it, I think you're right, especially when you look at uh, the the last how it's progressed. I mean, anyone, in my opinion, uh, Cleveland's such a big food and drink city now. Uh, I, I can't say if it always has been. You know, when I think about like you know when I was like in my twenties, it, it certainly didn't have that. But also, I wasn't necessarily into it as much right you, you know like you weren't you weren't obsessively covering it like i was or yeah. you know um but 
it has always kind of felt like it's funny because like uh, if we were having this conversation in, in 2010, we'd be saying the same thing. Oh my God, it's never been this good. Yeah. And in 2005, like it really, it's, uh, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is when you're wrapped up in it, um, if you were to look back, it was, of course it sucked in 1995, but if you were living in 1995 here, you'd be like, Oh my God, this is really cool. Like amazing, Marlon yeah. Kaplan's opening restaurants and you know, uh, Parker Bosley's opening restaurants like you're so, um, and that's how it's always been. Obviously it has sped up exponentially now. Um, but in, in early 2000, when you start seeing chefs like, you know, Zach Brule and Doug Katz and Karen Small and like all these people like doing stuff, Michael Hirschman, um, it was just, it was crazy, right? It was just so dynamic. And also, so, and that's the food thing. And then, like, you know, the, the, the entertainment side of things, we watched entire neighborhoods go, right? It used to be the flats, and then it's the warehouse district, and then it's Ohio City, and then it's East 4th Street. Like, so these are kind of the main kind of through lines that we can follow all these stories through. It's like, it's all happening. It's all changing. Um, and if you're excited about it, it's all, you know, it's just fun to cover. I, uh, I laugh every time we talk. I think about the flats because I think about people don't know what the flats was, you know, like in 98. They don't know, like, how dirty and dangerous it was. <laughs> like, right. you know, and, and you tell someone, like, you're from Cleveland and you're a writer, like, oh, my God, the flats. And, like, you have no idea. Yeah, no. They, like, you have no idea. Like, <laughs> please stop talking about the flats. I mean, you can now, again, because yeah, you know, there's I some mean, cool stuff there. But, yeah. like, if you think the flats of, you know, of the 80s and, and 90s is the epitome of, like, entertainment and lifestyle, and you need to get going somewhere every time i just they they're like what were the flats like i was like i don't know i just i went there until i was old enough to get into real bars right, right. yeah that's where i went when i was 18 the um yeah the the, the evolution of kind of what you do in the evolution of the city it's weird because the they the, there's a parallel between them it seems because of the evolution of what you've done your writing and the in the evolution of the city and the entertainment and the food and the drink i mean you, you said it best like if you're in 95 you're like it's great here but 2005, you're like, oh my god, how did I think 1995 right. was great? Exactly. And 2015, 2000, like in 2000, no, now when I think about even when I moved up here, uh, you know, eight nine years ago, you know, I, I've seen like like where Hingetown is and uh, in Detroit all the way down, like in the Battery Park. That's changed so much yeah. just in the time that I've lived in Lakewood. It's amazing, and I loved it then. It's amazing. So uh, my uh, my wife, it's funny because when when we met um, soon after I moved back to Cleveland. Because I was, you know, big time a writer now, so I can meet girls like Kim. <laughs> um, <laughs> she had she had just bought a place in Ohio City, and I just bought my house in Cleveland Heights. Uh, so we had, you know, kind of this east west thing going on, and also a battle. Like, if this works out, where are we gonna end up? <laughs> um, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't by the West Side Market. She wasn't, you know, on Clinton. She was on West Fifty Second in two thousand, two thousand and one. She bought a place as a single, you know, single lady. And uh, if you think about um, what West Fifty Second was in two thousand and one, um, I mean, you might not have a good picture because if you didn't live it's around there, very you wouldn't. Different, yeah. It was literally kind of epicenter between, you know, uh, Market Square by the West Side Market and Gordon Square. So it was a long. It took the longest to kind of you know, um, I guess redevelop or, or whatever. But, like, I would go to pick her up, and, you know, there was girls on the, on the corner. There was drugs. There was, you know, all that stuff. Steve's hot dog in over there. Um, so it's, um, you know, and then and then to cover the progress, like, Ohio City was really the, the first kind of neighborhood where, like, you got to watch from almost ground zero, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where 
Uh, you know, I, I went to the flats like everybody else, but I didn't hang out there. Uh, the warehouse district was already kind of a thing when I came back. But like Ohio City, to go down there, you know, when, when the garage bar opened up or, or Sam McNulty opened up, you know, Beer Market and Barcento, um, and even before that, when there was like this Market 25 thing going on down there, like it was just you felt like you were in a different city and you were like you were kind of a pioneer. Yeah. You were like, you were brave to go down there and, and go oh, to yeah. ABC Tavern before, you know, Glazen and, and them took it over. It was like, it was, it was exciting. ABC Tavern, that, that was like, that was like extreme drinking. Right. You're like, you're drinking, but you're kind of just looking around just in case something happens. Right. Like, we called was... them old man bars, but it was just a bar. Right? Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that place. Yeah. Still do. Ah. Oh, it's so, it is, but it's, it's very, I knew people that lived in Ohio City. I'm from Akron. So I, I remember living, uh, in Akron and my friend 15 years ago was like, I'm in Ohio City, you should come up. I'm like, eh, right. I don't think so, you know. Right. But now I'm like, people come in town, I'm like, let's go to Ohio City. Right. It's great down there. We can just get, you know, park and we can just walk up and down the street. It's great. Yeah, it's fine. You know, yes and no. I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I, I like some development. I don't like all development. I mean, if you have an opinion about the kind of place you like. I mean, you don't want something Disney-fied, right? You don't want it to no, be no, like... No gentrified to the point of like you no longer even recognize the place and but you also realize that like well at some point it's never gonna it's never gonna go back it is what it is yeah um and we now have like the residential population around it to support a very you know a, a very varied uh, set of places so i agree and i i mean the, the example that i always think about so i i mentioned uh like the the development, especially down like uh, Hingetown, like where uh, the the new North High Brewing is, you know, when I moved up here, none of that stuff was there. It was just jukebox, which is still to this day one of my favorite bars in the mm -hmm. entire city, mm -hmm. and that was there. It's one of the first bars I went to when we moved to Lakewood, and uh, that's I, I like that places like that are still like they built around it and didn't run out some of those. Exactly. I think the things yeah. that keep the yeah. character right. of the neighborhood. Right. And and that's what you do, right? You realize, okay, West 25th is West 25th. It's now going to take the brunt of the kind of, you know, the, the tourist or yeah. or you know that kind of that kind of business. Uh, Hinchtown, like you said, you've got Larder and Rising Star and and they've kind of um moderated the development over there mm -hmm. and haven't made huge changes. Um, you know, we love, we all love, you know, kind of the corner by Hex and Momocho yeah. and Lapiti Triangle. Um, that's kind of another old school, quiet corner of Ohio City that's kind of left to locals. And yeah, so you've got, you know, within one neighborhood, you've got, you know, very distinct things. And um, But we're now, yeah, obviously we're seeing it connect and push west towards Gordon Square. And yeah. those two neighborhoods are essentially turning into one one big one which yeah, is, yeah yeah just that 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 detroit road just you know you can take it all the way down just in and hit all those but i i think that's turned into kind of like my favorite area to go to when we do actually decide to you know put on adult clothes and go outside yeah uh which we're not going to do probably until uh i don't know april <laughs> yeah just due to weather just, and pregnancies stick, stick with fleece <laughs> yes <laughs> comfort clothes so um you're so okay. So you're 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 into it now. You're you're doing this full time. Um, when did the like? You say that you weren't, or at the time, like the plain dealer wasn't really covering like bars and restaurants. Like, how did that kind of that you said that you were doing that? That was kind of your beat. How did that kind of morph into what it is now? Because now it's for a very big thing. Me. At least from my point of view, it seems like a much bigger thing. Yeah, I mean, for them or for me? 
Both, really. Well, I'm done with Plain Dealer. You know, when they when they. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Like, yeah. So when they when they stopped, um, now I'm done with Plain Dealer. I did I did Plain Dealer for quite a while. Um, you know, obviously they went through crazy you know crazy changes over there. Went you know they got rid of all freelance and all union and it's a whole different shot. But I had a great run. I mean, like I um, I got to pitch my stories. You know, I wanted to go hot air ballooning over Amish country. I got to do it. I wanted to go race car oh. driving in mid Ohio. I got to do it. You know, I wanted to go that, you know, whether it's paintball or glass blowing or whatever. Like, so, uh, when I was doing regular work for them, weekly work for them, it wasn't just bars and clubs. It was now essentially entertainment, anything fun, anything cool. Um, if I had an idea, I'd pitch it. And then, um, well, why, you know, why stay local? So I started pitching travel stories. I got to go to Cuba. I got to go to you really? know, Mexico. Yeah, I mean they're not. It's not. They're not paying me to go there. Um, but I they're more just like so they're paying did, me for the story. So what year know, did you go to Cuba? I'm sorry, what 2017, year I think. Okay. Um, so that was you know um, after I stopped working with them weekly. But yeah, I mean if you've got a good story uh, to tell, you know they were always they were always willing to listen. I loved. Um, being able to just kind of, you know, pitch my own story and, and do what I wanted. And um, because the people who work there day to day don't necessarily go, know what's going on, right? Yeah. And what's, what's hip, what the, you know, cool kids are doing these days. And so you pitch it and you do it. That's a sweet gig. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I mean, when you think about I mean, the, the things that we all love, you know, I, I mean, the, uh, there are people like I'm not really into food. I always think those people are lying. They just don't know that they're really into right. food. Like right. you have you have preferences. You have places you like. You have types you like, and you you may not know it, but you have chefs that you like. You know, you like people well, or, some or people, styles. Some yeah. people don't. I mean, <laughs> some people are really? really. I mean, some people have really really weird taste or no taste at all. I mean, some people just want to stay home and have spaghetti or, or meatloaf. I mean, like honestly, I mean, like uh, you know, everybody doesn't enjoy pushing themselves food wise i've learned that really sure. i've always thought that people even the people that say they don't just don't know that they actually do have preferences and things yeah. that they really really like yeah and yeah yeah well it's it's expensive it's always been expensive i know it's super <laughs> expensive now um but it's always been expensive to eat out and i i feel like some people are just more com you know just comfortable staying at home yeah but this whole thing with food, you know, I mean, it started a while ago, obviously, with the Food Network and all, all everybody wanted to become a, a chef. You know, they see they see Emerald on TV and yeah. they see all these people on TV and they think, oh, my God, like, I can't wait to do it. Um, which kind of, you know, pushed the whole dining thing in the United States and in Cleveland, too. Um, it slowed down, I think, over the past, you know. Um, that that kind of like dream to be a, a celebrity chef slowed yeah. down. The restaurants obviously haven't slowed down, but yeah, I mean it's that's where it started. Uh, uh, now it's 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 all social media driven, um, which kind of pushes a whole different type of restaurant. But I don't know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. No, not at all. I mean, it, it's a, a you know it, when we're talking about the the progression, whether it be you know your career, the industry, both simultaneously. I mean, the next stop is obviously social media because it has. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the the celebrity chefs, and now mm -hmm. you're you're getting into not just people that want to write about food. People just want to just take pictures of food and become, you know, a food Cleveland, you know, Instagram, you know, influencer type, yeah. you know, scenario, which and, some and would consider, you know, uh, on the the journalistic side, well, media for sure, not journalism. <laughs> right. Sorry, I, I saw the look on your face. I <laughs> 
<laughs> you're like moron. That's not what a journalist. No, you're not I mean, a in moron. Terms of, I mean, in I terms know. of uh, in terms of media and kind of putting it out there. You know, that, that's it's it's a uh, it's it's the desire to be first, maybe right. I don't yeah. know what it is. I mean, I probably know what it is, but I haven't really given a lot of thought. It's not what I do, even though yeah. I am on social media and I love being on social media and I love photography and I love sharing things with people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I am not here to say that what other people are doing is wrong. It's just not what I, I seek to do. Um, I mean, I've been doing this so long. I have kind of a formula, right? Like we're like, I will get the news that somebody's opening a restaurant in six months. He or she will call me, you know, or I'll, or I'll beat their door down until they tell me, um, I know you're opening something there. Yeah. Like, I've seen the lease, you know, or so whatever. Like I know the landlord, buddy. Um, and, you know, so I'll write about it opening and like coming in a few months. And then like soon after, you know, soon before they open, I'll, I'll go and take some pictures. We'll call that a first look or a sneak peek. Um, but I won't go back to that restaurant for five weeks. Like yeah. they, they will have been up and running and cooking. Get their footing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and then I'll do a, a proper review. Um, social media these days, it's all about being first and like, yeah. you know, showing up on day one with your, your camera and your lights and, and. But people do want to see that, like, and 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 I'm not if I'm not going to be the one to provide it, someone else should, and I'm okay with that. Um, but you're never going to get, or never's not a good word. You're you're typically not going to get um, kind of a reasoned uh, critique of of what they're doing, or even a, a, like a, a very full and rich description of what they're doing through that type of thing. You're going to see pretty pictures, and that's fine for it, for it most is. people. No, no, I you're absolutely right, and I I'm. I won't lie. I am one of those people. I'm one of those people that I love Denny's because there are pictures of the food on the menu. <laughs> right. You know, I'm right. like, oh, I knew what I'm getting. Cool. Right. Granted, when it showed up, I'd be like, this isn't like the picture. No, because so, you send it back. Please. And I and I look at them too. I, it's like, and it's helpful for me. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm writing my review five weeks later, I'm like, I didn't order that, but like, there's a nice picture of it for reference. Yeah. I'm not going to say I ate it and I can sure. say how it tasted, but um. You just brought something up, and it was some. When I was reading, I think I read five year reviews, and, and there was something when I was t- talking to you about like your style of writing. You know, I, I don't know. I think it is it just the, the way that you do. But you, the one that stood out to me was the Marth on the Fly one, and it stood out to me one is because I love Marth on the Fly. I think it's a great place. But the way that your review went is you. You talked about the neighborhood. You talked about where it is. You talked about the history of the location that they were in. Like, I think it was two or three other places mm-hmm. prior to them actually going in. Right. And that's something that that, that one kind of hit home a little bit more with me because that's something that I have noticed as I've been paying more attention to you know, food locations. We talked a little bit before we started recording, but about I can't believe this place closed or I can't believe this place is still open, you know, things yeah. like that. There's two from – they're a mile from where you and I are sitting – there are two places on Detroit here in Lakewood that have been five different things since I've right. lived in this house. Right. It's just something that just, it just can't keep a place. But th- I thought that detail made sense because then I started thinking about this place is different because it's surviving and it's thriving and it's doing well. So then me as a, someone that's reading the review was thinking, oh, so people are going out of their way to go to this place because it is so good. Yeah. And if anyone's listening and it hasn't been, Martha on the Fly actually is really that good. It is that good. And, you know, it's we call it context, right? It's yes. like um, having been around as long as I have and, and, and seeing, not only like seeing what's been in that spot, yeah. but actually seeing that neighborhood when it was, not, right? Yeah. When when it was Ricardo at Fat Cats, you know, and then it was uh, Simon uh, at Lola and then it was Hirschman at Mojo and like, and that was about it for a while, you know, and, um, and Prosperity, you know, like 
but also it's also kind of knowing that those chefs came from this restaurant before they opened yeah. that and uh, where those where those restaurants kind of have been through and so yeah, I mean, you can you can walk up and take a video of the of the cool inside and and, and look what they're serving. That's perfect for some people. For me, I really like kind of uh, drilling drilling down a bit and kind of offering up a, a little more kind of nuanced and detailed kind of uh, description of what's going on there and what and why I think it's different or or has a likelihood of success. I you do, and I liked it. That was that's what stood out to me. Not and it was a place that I've already been, so I knew that I liked it. But the the way that you described that, I think, was good because it's funny because I think you had written about this, and I was talking about this today with some friends because we used to work downtown. Is uh, the that Barristers is closing, mm-hmm. and there's actually another one that's in. That was the one that we used to go to, the one that's over by like Noble Beast, like behind. Uh, right, Barristers, it, not Carl's in at the Barristers. Right, so yeah, they, sorry. Uh, and there's two, right? Yeah, there's like, two. Yeah, yeah. But that one we were talking about because of everything that's changed, obviously in the last couple of years, that downtown isn't necessarily hollowed out, but there isn't the same business lunch crowd that used to be there. And we were talking about that one. We're like, that's a place that is out of the way. Most people yeah. don't even know it's there unless you, because that's behind all right. the buildings. Well, you mentioned Noble Beast. I mean, like, so it's funny, you know. Well, we talked about a lot of stuff, but we talked about kind of this progression of neighborhoods too it's not just like it's it's chefs right it's bars it's it's neighborhoods but it's also trends i mean like i remember when we had you know no real you know texas barbecue we we had two a few taco places you know we didn't know what pho was you know unless you went to minan and you and you knew to order number 12 or whatever um we didn't have pho you know like donuts became a thing fried chicken became a thing chicken and waffles so like these things come through you know, like, um, and and we're the first ones to taste them and kind of, you know, like, hey, like, everybody, oh, my God, here's this place that's serving pho. You might not have had it. I didn't have it. Like, it's really cool. Um, go to Superior yeah. Pho. Well, when you open, it was Pho Hoa. Um, and it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, those things, too. And so speaking of Noble Beasts, breweries were became a thing, right? For the longest time, it was Great Lakes Brewery. You know, we were lucky to have them. Yep. Um, back in the day, it was, like, Diamondback and, like, you know, like uh, – what was the one in the flats? But we had like brew pubs and. and I know the one in the flats that's on the tip of my tongue. I know. Portside, huh? Portside. Well, the, the, the yeah, there was a portside. You're yeah. right. Um, and so breweries and and like every time I'd write about a new brewery opening, people would be like, "Oh, great, another brewery!" You know, just like they do now with pizza yeah. places and taco places and smash burgers and in whatever. And I'm not that jaded. I know that like there's if you there's always room for another good. I whatever agree. whatever it is we're talking about. Um, and so breweries kept popping up and popping up, and everyone's like, oh, great, another brewery. I'm sorry, you go to Masthead, you know, packed. You go to Noble Beast, you know, packed. These people are doing something. And, and talking about, like, a shitty location, Noble Beast, you're not by anything, yeah. right? You're by WKYC. Uh, you're by the FBI. <laughs> like, there's not even a place to get food around there. Um, That's the best example of... The opposite of, you know, that place, Barristers, is right by there. Right. No one's going to go out of their way to go there. No. Noble Beast, everyone goes out of their way. Yeah. I go out of my way to go there. Right. That they're, place is amazing. They're the exception to the rule, you know, yeah. location, location, location. You do something right. Groveswood Tavern, you know, I, I don't know if it's before your time, but there was a little place in um, Collinwood uh, back when, well, it's not, tons have changed since then, but, like, there was not much reason to go to Collinwood other than to see somebody at the Beachland Ballroom. And you would go to the Groveswood Tavern before or after. And it was such a cool out-of-the-way place that, um, you know, it, it brought people there. Yeah. R- despite where it was. 
Yeah, that was a. Um, I don't think I have actually ever been there. Beachland, obviously, I've been to before, but I don't think I've ever gone to that tower. Is that still there? Nope. No. Then I'm probably not going to make it. No. The, uh... it's, <laughs> it's you know, and and, and I I know you know it's another thing that people talk about like uh, losing old restaurants, and and lately it does feel like they're speeding up. We're losing classic restaurants all the time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but we've it's always happened, right? And it does it, and it's not just happening here. It's happening in New York. It's happening in Chicago. It's happening everywhere. It's you yeah. lose old restaurants. You know, and restaurants close for the same reason now they do before. It's like there's not enough business to support whatever you know, rent they're paying, whatever costs they're paying. Um, real estate prices are going up everywhere. Um, food costs are going up. Like it, the, the numbers are a lot harder now, obviously. But we've always been losing great restaurants. It's always sad to see places like Baricelli and close and Fire close and all these places. But um, it's sad, you know. And, and all I can say to people that, you know, lament the close well, – What's your favorite restaurant that you haven't been to in 10 years? Yeah. Know, what's the restaurant you're going to be really sad uh, when you read me, you know, read my article about it closing and be like, oh, my God, that's so sad. I'm like, well, when was the last time you were there? That's a great point. I have like 10. Like, and I haven't been. Like when Barcento switched, I was like, oh, no, I love that place. Well, and you my, had warning. Yeah. My, my <laughs> wife's like, uh, when was the last time you were there? I'm like, I don't know, two, three years. Yeah. I'm like, well, you didn't love it that much. Exactly. <laughs> but I did. I had the best breakfast pizza and the best fries. No, it's 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 always sad to lose the the big old classics. And and like I said, these days it's 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 speeding up because of a number of reasons, and a lot of that is social media driven, right? Um, well, and so many more new and so many new restaurants, so much more competition. So that pie, that slice of the pie, gets smaller and smaller and smaller every time. You know, if if we're going from twenty restaurants to fifty restaurants to two thousand restaurants, that that pie slice gets smaller and smaller. Sure. And smaller. Oh yeah, of course. The um, do you remember the and, and I don't mean like specific like name of the place, but do you remember the first place you reviewed? Oh yeah, I yeah. have, I have, a, and um, I used to keep everything. So, uh, so think of it, you know, two thousand and one, there was no online, right? There's no websites. There's no. Uh, I didn't even have a smartphone to take a picture of my damn food. The phone couldn't eat first in two thousand and one <laughs> when I started. Um, so I kept everything. You know, you would have to. I would have to go to the coffee shop down the street to pick up a pop uh, copy of the Plain Dealer, or pick up a copy of the Free Times to see what I wrote last week. There was no daily online blogs. There was none of that stuff. Um, my first review was a place called um, Goodman Sandwich Inn, which is the best corned beef place in Northeast Ohio. Hand slice in the window, a thick slice, but like butter. Um, just a you know a normal Parma diner serving the best corned beef in town, and I chose that as my first one for some reason I don't know uh, because I wanted to go there I'd never been people told me to go there and so I went there. Uh, yeah, I kept I kept everything I did. Uh, I remember my first plain dealer story was a, um, a, a kind of a poetry slam uh, at, uh, in Cleveland Heights, and. I, I kind of probably almost recite most of them. Really? I, yeah. I mean, I just, it's because back then you were just like, you, you put so much into every single word. Not that I don't now. It's a lot more, but it's a lot more subconscious, I guess. Well, I think that goes back to kind of what we mentioned earlier, but it's something that you, I mean, I couldn't tell you what I did earlier today at my oh, job. I, oh, I have notes. You see yeah. my notes. <laughs> I don't fucking remember what I had for breakfast. I don't remember what I honestly like. Feel like but I don't you remember, remember what the, I reviewed you last like week. These things, you know, yeah. th- this became 
yeah. what you're currently doing right now and still love doing right now. I mean, I, right. maybe just like you said, subconscious, maybe you're writing this and you don't real, but you're having a blast doing well, it. So I, you I have a lot more balls. I mean, like back then it was like, it was playing dealer free times. And then for the longest time it's been, it's been seen, um, you know, that's been my home for the last, you know, I, but I just call it all seen now, yeah. you know, it's been so long. It's 20 years of, of working for, you know, all weeklies and, and it went from free times to scene. Um, to me, it's it's the same job at, in a different paper, um, yeah. with the same great you know types of people, but you know then I added uh, the guidebooks, then I started doing the cookbooks, and then I started doing you know radio. I for the longest time I did radio with Lanigan Malone. Yeah, you know like so, there was a lot more stuff being added to my thing as I kind of became more of a of a known entity, and people thought of me as as an expert in in food and so they started you know bringing me on and, and to do things and 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 now it's tv yeah what, what do you attribute that to like in terms of the, the, the is it do you think I, I think it's a lot of things obviously but like the consistency of the work the 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 in the know being someone who's actually from here i mean you know, as you're progressing in your career, like you said, a couple of, we've mentioned a couple of times, you know, it gets more and more competitive, more and more saturated. Everyone's yeah. trying to do it. So, you know, as you're expanding into cookbooks, your relationship with, you know, with uh, with Simon, all these things. I mean, what do you think that success and continued success has been attributed to? I think it, it, it depends on which outlet we're talking about. Right. Scene loves me because I break the news. You yeah. Know? I mean. They, they're happy with my reviews. They're happy with my daily blogs. You know, but they love that I am in, in touch with everybody uh, and can break the news long before anybody else can. I will tell you, you know, when this is going to be opening before anybody else, sadly, when this is likely closing before anybody else. Um, with with uh, Channel 3, it's because I do have these contacts and I can pick up a phone and call anybody and be like, oh, my God, we need to get in there right away. I can do that. It's clearly not because of my, you know, TV presence. Um, but I do have a way with, you know, kind of interviewing people and putting them at ease and they're willing to tell me things that they might not tell other people. Um, with Simon, it's just consistency and reliability and, like, I'm doing things that he can't do because he's too busy uh, traveling and filming and whatever. Um and he's got a big team. I'm one, you know, one small part of his cookbook team, believe me. But in in terms of kind of taking what he's, you know, him and his his recipe person Katie gave me and kind of redoing it in a form that the publisher needs, like that's. Um, so it really it, it depends on who we're talking. I hope that I offer different things to different people. Yeah. Well, you you talked about like you know the 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 being first thing. So that is what the social media cannot do. The the contacts and I think the relationships you built in the city, you are able to actually get. Instagram can't get that first. Like yeah. what's not, what's closing, what's opening, who's partnering up? Because I, mean, I think we've seen a lot of that recently. You know, with uh, um, a couple different places. I know that some of the guys at like LBM announced that they are opening another. Some right, of them the doc, are partner up. Right. So a uh, perfect example. You know, the guys at LBM, Dan Watt, Doctor Doctor Watson, and um, and Eric, and um, I'm sorry, I forget their their, their partner's name. Uh, but so you, you you wonder why you know I get it first. It's not because I like I, you know I beat their door down. It's um, well, we just talked about it with Martha on the fly. If you were about to open something, you know, you want the your first kind of public announcement um, to be good right you want it to kind of express what you what you uh, you know have planned i mean you have worked on this thing for years before yeah. probably you know uh, it, it comes to light and so you want whoever to, whoever is telling the story to tell it in a way that um is going to make you you know happy and so they reach out to somebody who they know 
can do that. And, and fortunately, that's me a lot of the time. It's not all the time, but a lot of the time. And so the reason people reach out to me first isn't because they hope that I'm going to give them a, a favorable review six months down the road. I think it's because they like the way I tell their story. That's a great point. I very much agree again with the, the, the style and some of the reviews that I've read and just that. And I think LBM is a good example because of their story. I mean, I mean, those guys, I mean, really like five or six of those guys just got together. They built that place from scratch. Fortunately, they all have the, the, the carpentry experience yeah. build, literally build the bar, build the shelf. And if anyone's not been in LBM, go there and you'll, you'll see kind of what I'm talking about in terms of the way, the style that they have in there. It's very unique and it's very them. And cause it's not just pick a place, pick a name, open a bar. It's, they put a lot into that. And I, I think that's a very good point. I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, I am right. I mean, <laughs> damn it. Uh, no, I, I, I honestly just think it, it's it's as simple as that. When people are like, damn it, Trattner, how come you keep beating me? I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe just because, you know, um, it's not just because I know them. And I do know, you know, everybody in this town. Sure. Um, like we were talking before, it doesn't mean that everybody likes me um, or vice versa. But no, I just think it's just because, like, they think that uh, I can tell their story in a way that, like, they want it told. Yeah. I and yes, you're right. And that's a whole different job from the reviews, right? And it's oh, a whole yeah. different job from, you know, this. And it's a whole different – the stuff I do on TV, you know, is – you know, if we're on a fluff meter, right? Like, you know, there's like – there's TV and then there's like, you know, the preview and there's the, the review. And you were – you know, you you approach everything differently because they're all, they're all different. Yeah. They're different jobs. They're different topics. They're different whatever. Do you – Insane. I don't need to know the name of the place, but I, I'm curious about like when when you're doing a review, the first time where you're like, I've tried this a couple of times. Unfortunately, I'm consistently having bad experiences, whether it be service, food, or anything like that. Where you you kind of have that realization, you're like, I'm gonna have to you know kind of speak as to what my experience is, and it's not gonna be good. Yeah. Is that something that you kind of I don't know? Like I I've tangled with that at times. Like I, I've tangled with that where. You know, like just when it comes to tipping, you know, I'm just like, ah, I know it wasn't that good, but I mean, who cares? You know, right. obviously I can do that, but you know, people are reading your work and, and that is that something that is kind of hard to wrestle with? Well, there's pre COVID and there's post COVID. Well, pre COVID, because right. yes, I want to talk about post COVID. Because <laughs> I mean, that like, is very different. Everything, everything changed in COVID, and it, it's not, you know, and I'm not saying that like there still isn't room for, you know, sure. Um, for, you know, if I'm having a $200 seafood platter or whatever, like um, being honest and, and letting people know, I mean, even more so now because things are so expensive, letting people know exactly what they're going to be getting um, before going there, just making sure that they have a good idea of what, what they're getting into. And that's always going to be the job, regardless of pandemics. But, um, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've had experiences where, like, you, had, you know, Again, it's that style thing, right? Like back in the day, it was fun to be snarky. You know, it was fun to kind of not make fun of people yes. and what they're doing, um, but to maybe do it a little heavy-handed or more heavy-handed than you would now. Um, but those are, you know, they're few and far between. Um, the places that are really, really bad, I've burned so many reviews yeah. and just never even wrote them. Cause Which might be in a review point? in itself, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's the point? But you, there's always room for I, it. It's, it's funny you say that, like the, just like the, the, the heavy handed or the snarky. Because I think a lot of people, like uh, casual casual readers or, ca or people that don't really know or really even pay attention to reviews, they think of that as what a review, a bad review is. Yeah. It's someone just kind of using, you know, clever, funny metaphors sure. to describe how bad their experience was. 
Oh um, my God. And in England, it's like blood sport, like in London. Like, yes. You know, I mean, like it is, you read this stuff and you're like, wow, how do they get away with that? Yeah. They are like just, they're just nasty. These two clearly went to people. high school together. Right. <laughs> oh, they're just nasty. But yeah, no, I haven't, you know, I haven't really done too many of those, thankfully. Um, I have written many negative reviews, uh, not many that I regret because they're like, you know, I didn't do them just to, to make a name for myself or to stand out. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's just kind of maturity and be like, well, you know, I don't know. You can still, you can describe things in a way, um, without the need for being agreed. Uh, agreed. Um, yeah. And, and you're right. The distinction pre and post COVID, cause I mean, it's still now, you know, places are struggling with, uh, with staff and it's something I think a lot of us are I, like me and my wife, I, we both bartended, we both, you know, waited tables. We understand that you know, th- that's not something that can be helped. And, uh, I'm more just like, if the food is still good, I'm still going to be fine. If I have to wait a little bit longer, it is what it is. I made the opinion. I made the decision to go out. I know what the state of the world, the state of the city and the state yeah, of the well, industry if is. If you don't know by now, then you haven't been paying attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you just, it's, and it's not just here, but it's, it, it's, it's harder in smaller cities for sure. Sure. Um, where, you know, you're, yeah, I mean, like, restaurants are still closed on, on you know, three days of the week, or their hours are short. And okay. um, I know a lot of restaurants that are literally ready to go, uh, new restaurants that are like, I mean, if you walked in there, you'd think they were serving, but they don't have the, the staff to turn on the lights and open yeah. the door. Yeah, it's sad. It mm-hmm. really is. Well, I don't think I've seen too many. I can't, I mean, I can't think offhand. Um, there's been a couple that I think since 2020 did close that I was bummed. Like Spice, that I was bummed about that one. I did like that place. Fire. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. It's just some of these are I really did enjoy. I was glad that not more went down. Uh, but I've also seen a difference. I've seen a difference at one place in particular that, and we went there I think two or three times, and I'm like, and it was every, and it was every aspect. It was all just bad. And I, you know, I, I don't want to be like torch the place i'm certainly not going to name them but i mean it's a it's completely different before and after and i know that that's an impact mm-hmm. um the service was a lot slower but i get that it's always busy and they don't have a lot of servers but then the food was it's just every aspect of it and we yeah. just no, it not going to go back it's a shame and when you're looking at like uh, where to go out to dinner with your hard-earned money you know and you're like well you've got that experience mm. to look at, or do i go to this flashy new restaurant that just opened and looks really kind of exciting and um that's you know that's what most people do. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we do that. I mean, especially now, I feel like we go. We try to go out like maybe once a week, just to like a, try a new place or a place we haven't been to in a while. But then new places just keep popping up. You know, when you think about like the Cordelias and the Ambas, you know, all these new places are opening up, and we're. It's just there's always seems to be something good to go to, and if there's not a brand new one, we circle back to one of our other favorites, and yeah, there's I'm, so many. We're lucky that a lot of the ones that are opening up recently are good. There, you can be new and good. Don't yeah. get me wrong, like. We are, uh, I mean, Cordelia, like you said, it's really exciting to have them. Amba, of course. Zoga is one of my favorite places. Um, but I do go back to my old favorite places mm-hmm. as much as I can because they, they rely on just as much, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I travel, you know, it's not about the new places. It's typically about the oldest place I can find. You know, you go to New York, I try to find, like, the oldest restaurant because I know, like, you know, uh, you know, I go to Cats because they might not be there next year. I go to Wear World because they they might not be there next year. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I've had you know that I've gotten to experience as many of these places as that I can. Yeah, before, it's, before it's too late. Yeah, and we all we all do that. I mean, now when um, you know, when we go to a new city, no matter where it is, I mean, the first you know the first we're looking for where we're going to have breakfast, where we're going to have lunch, where we're going to have dinner, places like this, places like that, the best wings, the best beer, the best pizza, all that. 
And uh, yeah, and you mentioned this. This just happened because there's a new Pete's place just opened down the street. And uh, I went to their page, and the very first comment, and it's probably because you know there's a lot of sh- shitty people out there. The first comment was, "Oh, good. Like we need another pizza place. Like, mm-hmm. Why do we? If it, I haven't been there, but if it's good, right. Right. I, nor I has that nor has that commenter been there, right? Yes, he, I mean, like what he, he or she has just decided wholesale that it's not worth their time because it's it's serving a food that other people are serving, and yeah, it's I just I don't get that. Well, it's there's a, curious people, you know. There's 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 patient people. There's you know all kinds of people as we know, like. I will. I hope I'm never that kind of person that yeah. just says, um, you know, like it's it's funny. Uh, there's a new taco place at Van Aken. I love Van Aken and Shaker. I, I live in Cleveland Heights. Um, Van Aken has done everything right from day one. Where it's not like uh, Pinecrest or Legacy or none of these lifestyle centers would be like, oh well, if everybody in the nation has a cheesecake factory, we too need a cheesecake factory. <laughs> you know, it's the opposite of that. Um, it's it, you know from day one, it's been local, local, local. Yeah. They got a great market hall with a lot of kind of you know food hall type stuff, you yeah. know, smaller things, but all local. You know, the best the best in the uh, in the business when it comes to coffee and pastry and whatever. Um, and so I have to say, you know, when when the new taco place opened up at, at Vanik and it's called Paloma, I'm like, well, you know, I don't need to go to another taco place. But I knew who opened it, and he's a chef. Well, they're chefs, Carl Quagliata, who opened Giovanni's forty some years ago. And his long-term, long-time chef Zach Ladner. So these are people who would not just dally, you know, or like, or like just kind of like dabble in something. If they're going to do something, they're going to do it right. And um, but even knowing that story, you think, well, what if I go there and it is just that? You know, what if it's just like an upscale barrio? What if it's just like, uh, then what do I do? You know, do I lie? Do I? But um, you know, I always go to things with an open mind, and I want that. I'm like, yeah, I was blown away. I'm like, okay. Now I get it. Um, not that I didn't get it, but like every single taco shell is made from scratch or order. You know, every filling is like these are like long braised, you know, lamb shake. Like the, the, it's a taco place that only a really wonderful, classically trained chef could create. And everything is designed to, you know, it's not build your own. You're not going to be like mixing and matching anything because everything is designed to go together. And it's an experience that you, you know, you leave going, okay, we did, we did need one more taco place in town. <laughs> I especially like things like that, like pizza, tacos, wings. Like for me, it's no, I can never have too many good options for that. I, it, I mean, I get a, that with like pizza and tacos, but wings, like, I mean, how much variation can you get in wings? Uh, I think a lot. Because no, I, when I go to new places or places that I haven't tried their wings and I try them, and I, I have the ones in mind where I'm like, these are, and my wife always says the same thing. As soon as I try them, she's like, how do they rank? Where, because I, I so think what are we talking? Are we talking size, sauce, uh, crispiness, so, tenderness? Uh, what are the factors? Okay, so size for sure. I, I those tiny little wings are just stupid, <clears throat> uh, unless they're just dynamically amazing. You know, I they don't have to be those big jumbo ones, but they have to be a good size wing. The sauce I think has become more of a thing and more important. I think a lot of pl- I was just a good company last week and they have great wings dry wings yes amazing they're they're really really i don't mean really dry in a bad way i mean like they're like they're sauce less wings right like aren't they typically dry ish like there's more of a, a spice oh i think you mean like a dry rub oh no yeah, so like dry rub that's what i mean like, yeah they have those they, they yeah they, they do have those but they they fall off the bone like right. ribs right. like if you've that that like friend the greenhouse that, tavern yes. wings back in the day yeah, like if you had that friend that bought a smoker to make ribs and the ribs fall, that's mm-hmm. how their wings were. They were really, really, really good. And then there's other like like Woodstock here in late like other like those are places that I'm like yeah, they're really good and, and those great. Those are smoked. Oh right? yeah, really, really good. 
But yeah, I, I, I do think that you can do variations. I'm old enough to remember when people uh, almost rioted when wings came whole as, as opposed to just split. Yeah. So like, you know, you just like... Either, like a brew kettle. Like they either the chef days. does this or you do this and I'm yeah. making a snapping gesture over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's the biggest deal in the world. How mad people got... Like, you know what it is? It's because people don't want to be that close to their food source. Like, they don't want to know what it looks like before it, like, arrived on their plate. Oh, I'm sure that, So yeah. when you start putting things together in a larger form that looks closer to the animal that it came from, yeah. they riot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it's true. I mean, the, most people wouldn't eat the stuff that they eat if they actually knew the way right. it was prepared or right. where it came from. They're like, like, they're like, no, I don't want to know. You know. People, like, talk about, like, you know, eating, eating like, say, frog at an Asian restaurant or some, you know, your sweetbreads, and they're like, oh, my God, like, that is the most – I can't even believe you do that. Meanwhile, they're gnawing on the bone of a pork <laughs> rib, right? Like, like they have a pork bone in their mouth, and but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Like, well, that was a, a small, cute, funny animal that you probably really love. Yeah. But yes, I, I do because I know uh, Brew Kettle does that. Uh, Immigrant Son does that too. They have the the the, the I like the, the whole wings. Yeah, I, I, I do too. But yes, uh, I, I do think that the that there's a, a market for for wings, and yes, it's a big topic of, in my household with my wife. Um, what about your so you transition? When do you transition into actually the the books, the cookbooks? Because um, obviously it's still, I know it's still writing, but the articles, the reviews, and then, you know, I mean, that's a much larger undertaking. It's a larger undertaking, yeah. So what happened was like, so uh, the the first book, Carnivore, was just a massive, giant book. And Michael, excuse me, Simon, uh, approached me. We had a meeting down the street from from us at, uh, at Phoenix on Lee Road in Cleveland Heights. And he's like, hey, I'm writing a cookbook, um, you know, all cookbook, all, all chefs, use ghostwriters, you know, whether, whether you know it or not, if you, you know, if a chef is writing a book, there's a writer involved, right? It doesn't matter how good of a writer the chef is. They have a writer involved yeah. because they're, they're typically not writers, right? I mean, there, there are exceptions, but 99% of the time, uh, a celebrity chef has a ghostwriter and that ghostwriter is doing, you know, anything from cleaning up prose to writing prose wholesale to like, um, so, he approached me, and I had just written, um, and I think that's probably had a lot to do with it. I had just written uh, the guidebook. Uh, I wrote a, a massive guidebook to Cleveland, like 300 pages for Moon, who does guidebooks throughout the world. They do guidebooks all over, and yeah. I wrote the first um, and really kind of only comprehensive guidebook to Cleveland. Just a, a horrible, horrible job, <laughs> like massive. I mean, like, not just restaurants and bars, but like galleries and shops and excursions from town and uh, hotels. And I mean, you name it, like a, a, just a travel guidebook, um, just massive. But he's, I gave him a copy of that and he's like, oh, wow, that's like, that's like real work. Um, so I think he had the confidence to ask me to help him with a cookbook. And then like soon after I said, sure, I'll help you with a cookbook. Of course, I want to write a cookbook with you. He got a job uh, on The Chew, which was a daily primetime TV show. Um, so he was going from, like, Food Network famous to, like, famous famous, and his schedule probably, you know, was, was completely different. So um, that was a lot of work of kind of learning what I was doing. You know, you're not writing reviews. You know, Like, you're doing things in a way that the publisher needs done. Um, so essentially my job as a cookbook co-writer Two big things. Recipes come from a recipe pro. He's got Katie who, uh, you know, he comes up with the recipe and, and the book and all that. Katie tests the recipe, writes the directions. 
Um, but those aren't in a form that the publisher wants. So everything needs to be rewritten in a way that like all their cookbooks look right now. So all the recipes come from her, they get rewritten. All the prose comes from Mike, they get rewritten. So every recipe has a header, every chapter has an introduction, every book has a big introduction. Those are all things that kind of um, what, what we do. And then I'm kind of the go-between between between the publisher and them. They're very busy, and they're busier now than they've ever been with travel and and filming. So all the day-to-day kind of publisher questions and, like, um, logistics and stuff, I'm their guy. I'm the the guy in between. And from from day one, I was like, I assumed that I would be like every other ghostwriter who's ever worked on a cookbook. I'd, you know, thank myself in the acknowledgments. And you literally do thank yourself in the acknowledgments (laughs) because you're writing the acknowledgments. It's a weird thing um, to to think about. So... But Mike was never that way. Mike was like, you have done you know, so much on this book, I'm putting you on the cover. So it's Michael Simon and Douglas Tratter. Always has been from day one. So when you ask me like, what makes me a New York Times bestseller, it's because I'm lucky enough to work with a guy like Mike Simon who yeah. sells a lot of books. But he's also nice enough to put me on the cover and not hide the fact that he's working with a writer. And so he gives me the credit... Um, that, that every writer that does this deserves and doesn't often get. And so we are just now wrapping up our seventh cookbook together. That's incredible. So we did Carnivore, Five and Five, Five and Five, Fix It With Food, Fix It With Food, Playing With Fire, and now we're just finishing up Simon's Suppers. It'll come out, I think, next uh, spring. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It really is incredible, I think, that we've done now. Like ours. We're wrapping up our seventh book. But... That's also you, you don't have time to enjoy it because it's when it's it's a leapfrog process. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So before this book even comes out, they're already starting thinking about the next book. Um, so I guess you call that job security. Well, well sure, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure, job security. But I mean, I, I would also call it well earned job security. Yeah, you know those things continue because the previous work is still good. I mean, we we've mentioned the word consistency several times, and we've been talking about that, and that is the key. I think to what anyone in any type of creative field, whether it's writing, music, anything like that. I mean, I mean, take you know, like music as an example. We all know somebody that had a really good song that you never heard from again. Think about actors that there are actors that have won Academy Awards and then just fell off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the a lot of them you just they just found the right role and it worked and everyone it was awesome. But then you have it's the consistency of work that that's going to allow that. I mean, job security is something that everybody wants, and I think for for what you're in and what you do, and I know that you started you know, a long time, you got a lot uh, under your belt in terms of experience, but it's still competitive. It's competitive as hell. And I think of it as a kind of the small business mentality. You know, when I was a lawyer, I met uh, sole practitioners who had a little office, you know, in the back of their home, and I'd be like, I wouldn't come here. Yeah. I wouldn't want this guy, you know, it works with Dennis, it works with anybody. Like, you, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at running your own business. Agreed. You know, you could be a good dentist, but you don't know, you know, but you're huffing too much nitrous. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're not keeping the books, right? Like, so, like, this is a small business. It's my business. You know, I showed up here on time, right? Because that's, that's not a fluke. Like, that's just how I operate. Yeah. You know, if something is, I've never missed a deadline in my freaking life. Like, um, so anybody I've worked with should be happy to work with me again. And so you just kind of keep, just keep rolling, just keep doing what you're doing. Because it's always the little things. Like I said earlier, like I was an editor. I had to find writers. And you would think, and I had to find writers at a time when everybody wanted to be a writer. Everybody wanted to be a writer 10 years ago and 15 years ago. Because I started um, Freshwater Cleveland. 
it's still going today, but I was like the, the, the founder and managing editor locally. And I had to like find writers. And I, and, and as a dining editor for scene, um, we used to have a lot more freelancers. And so I'd have to find those folks too. And you just wouldn't believe how many people, oh my God, I want to be a writer. And they just can't even do the simple things like turning yeah. things in on time or following the format. Like here's deadline, length, you know, topic. Just do that. Those three things. Um, I won't even ding you on grammar and like this stuff because I'm an editor. That's what I do. I yeah, can yeah, clean that up pretty yeah. quickly. I'm, like, I'm, that's, like I did with your that's profile. That's my job security. <laughs> like I did with your profile on uh, Twitter. Oh, Christ. Sorry about that. I'll bring that up. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just like just do those three things, and and so so rarely like you know do do they do that? Just no, just follow I, through. It's it, it you kind of just hit it right there. You just named a couple very simple things like do this, do this, do this. Boom, job. You know. Yeah. And you know we we talked about like you know the uh, the, uh, the the being on time thing. That is something it, I've had to like in in my professional life where I've had to sit down with people and just be like. I'm asking you to do what is literally the easiest part of any job. It's show up at the time that everyone else is true, here. True. And you're consistent. Like, that is something that people are just like, oh, I'm never on time. Like, stop bragging about that. Right. <laughs> Being a shitty person. Yeah. <laughs> like, so putting you're... yourself first uh, yes. all the time. When other Like, do you realize other people are out there? And yeah. depending on you, and like, you just, just do it. I what mean, time do you want to meet? Seven? Okay, I'll be there at seven. And you show up at seven. Yeah. Well, if, at... if you're meeting for beers at a bar, fine. Whatever. Oh, you yeah. Know? But you can be late. Oh, I, I will. I, I'm afraid he might listen, so I won't mention this. But I just had one where someone's just like, "I'm meeting at this time," and then at 40 minutes later, I'm messaging like, "Hey, man, um, I'm not saying this is the most important thing that you have to do, but we did talk about this, and you know, it just it, and that's something for me. That's something that you can very much control." Yeah, so that, that's why it's kind of a pet peeve of mine right. too. Like right. I've missed what, what people think of you, and like I mean, that's you know, it's just, your first impression. Yeah. Like I've missed one flight in my life, and I still think about it. I like I miss the flight. Like we were in my, to be fair and honest and truthful and a little shitty. Uh, my wife was the reason that we missed it. Uh, she was just you know because my wife is kind of the opposite of that. You know, she's like, uh, "We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. We got time. We got time." And I'm like, I. I we got in the car and I was like, "We're gonna miss this." I already knew, but we're driving. I'm like, "We're gonna drive there. It's fine because I'm gonna have to find another flight." But we're gonna miss this flight, and it's it's just it was just the worst feeling. <laughs> we were in Myrtle Beach, and I was flying back here, back home. Oh and, well, flying missing the flight home is not a big deal. It missing the too, flight there is a big deal. It is when you're in Myrtle Beach because they don't have a lot of flights. Right. <laughs> they don't have a lot so of you're flights. Saying you were stuck. Oh, I was stuck, stuck in, in that warm, sunny for weather, like six probably hours. during a Cleveland winter. No, I was stuck in the terminal for five yeah. hours. Yeah, no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, but I still, I still think about that, and still to this day, when we have a flight, I'm like, all right, flights at eight, cool. Let's get there at six. Yeah, Kim and I were just uh, traveling recently, and like running like full speed we're not runners to catch our connecting flight because our first flight was so delayed and uh, just terrifying when you're on your way to vacation you know well it wasn't vacation for her but it was for me yeah um <laughs> and to miss that second flight that's going to bring you to in my case new orleans yeah it's okay <laughs> his glasses fell behind the chair so uh, no big deal yeah it's uh i don't know that that's something that uh i've just always it's always been my i think i got it from my dad my dad was the got to be on time guy so that's uh that's just a, a thing that i always kind of think about yeah, so on, again i appreciate on. it be on time yeah everybody be on time yes please <laughs> it's so easy and also when i'm doing this 
I'm asking you what time when you set the time, especially if you set the time and you're late, then I'm, I'm for some reason, extra pissed. Right. Well, you, you have a lot of time to reschedule. Like, yes. Yeah, well, you know, I, I said four, but you know, four thirty actually works better yeah. for me. So, okay. So again, I, I see what you're saying about the book because it does make sense. Cause I, so many people have actually, few people have actually done something like that. I mean, I've met plenty of people in my life who are like, I'm working on a book. I want to write a book. All this. Yeah, I want to do a lot of things that yeah. aren't going to happen. But when you're actually in it, I mean, was that a surprise to you? Like when you're, and even as someone that has a career in writing, the the time consumption that goes into just one book, let alone seven. It's it's exhausting. So, yeah. So we we're talking about you know like kind of I guess juggling a lot of balls. Um, so what's nice is, and I love it this way. I mean, like this is literally how I design my life on purpose. Scene is. Essentially a full-time job, but you know, uh, I have the the latitude. It's not it's not nine to five, right? So, um, and then the TV stuff that I started doing three years ago is you know a day every week or two, um, and then the cookbook stuff when it comes in, it's like a, a lot of work for a couple months, then not a lot of work, then a lot of work for a couple months, and not a lot of work. So, I'm able to kind of work around all those things yeah. and, and make them all work at the same time, even if like there's times when it doesn't really work well, but um, all of my bosses, for a better, you know, lack of a better word, are, they understand because like they're they're happy with the work that I do. And if yeah. if there's a time, you know, if uh, if some big news say breaks in, in scene and I'm filming for Channel Three, I have people to step in and do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's well, it's, it's again it's, consistency, it's lot, reliability. It's a, yeah. Yeah. And that's how I assume. Now that you're, you know, you know, gearing up, up toward book number seven, you have a better idea of what to kind of expect and maybe plan. I know it's still hard to plan because there's kind of peaks and valleys in terms yeah. of the uh, how how busy it can be. But going into your first one versus this one, you're like, I kind of at least have an idea about what to expect. Oh my god, the first one was such a nightmare. I mean, so um, yeah, it was like for uh, a lot of reasons. It was here. Here are the the main reasons why. Like so. Compared to say the first book, compared to say like the the second five and five, five and five was they were dreams, right? The whole idea of five and five was something he did on the chew. Five ingredients, five minutes, right? Think about it. Plus your staple, you know, your pantry kind of staples. So very simple recipes, very simple everything. Um, the first book I worked on was called Carnivore, and it was like his big chefy, massive, you know, multi-page uh, recipes um, that like just so. Not only was the were, was the food uh, and the recipes complex, but it was my first cookbook, and it also was not helpful that Michael forgot to send me the style guide from the publisher that tells me exactly how to write recipes. So I was just kind of winging it, thinking like, "Oh, this made sense to me." Um, so I essentially had to rewrite most of the book, not the words part, but the recipe part. Yeah. Uh, and we had taken kind of we had rented a place in the Outer Banks for two weeks, um, thinking it'd be a working vacation. Uh, and it rained like the entire time. We were like essentially like living in the remnants of a hurricane. Uh, I was redoing a book uh, for the second time, and it was like yeah, it was a pretty low point in my life, but uh, our lives because of me. Uh, but when that book finally showed up, like at my house, you know, like that hard cover, like cookbook with my name on the cover, I'll never forget it. it was it? It was. It's insane. It was seriously the the high point of my career. There was a few uh, a few high points, like picking up that first plane dealer where my byline was in there. Yeah, seeing it for the first time, seeing the first cookbook uh, for the first time with my name on it. Obviously, when Michael called me and said you're a New York Times bestselling author, 
uh, because you know that book was uh, a bestseller. Yeah, there, uh, there's yeah a few a few high points in my life. Those are some very good. I mean, good, very good high points. Yeah, yeah that's great. And those are things again that just uh, professionally it, speaking, Kim. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. We're not talking about the the day that uh, that you met, you know, your better half. Right. Um, but in terms of that, it, 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 when you think about you know a lot of stuff that we talked about, like that journey, you know, starting at a public defender and then kind of doing this as a side gig, then moving into doing this full time, and now and really, really, really enjoying it and kind of becoming immersed in it in the place that you grew up in and enjoying it, the people that you're meeting, and then being able to be recognized for your work for something that you really like doing and want to continue doing, and probably the whole time is what you should have been doing. Right, you know? right. I don't know if I, if I would have been ready for it earlier on. You know, I think it, like, it came to me at the, at the right time in my life uh, where because it was only because I knew what I didn't want to do, yeah. which was law. And I knew how, um, I don't want to say how hard it could be, but like how, how bad of a fit personally it could be. And to find something like this, um, and, and which is kind of like, which is why I show up on time, which is why I work so hard, which is why I don't piss off editors, which is why I turn my things in on fucking time. It's because I don't want to be a fucking lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's because I do appreciate where I am professionally, and I don't take it for granted. Do you think because it's something you love so much that it's an added pressure? about the, uh, An added pressure to maintain and, and keep doing what you're doing? And I ask that because... Uh, um, my friend Andre Knott, who's been on here a couple times, he and I talked about this at the end of the second time he came on. And you know, Andre has so many great stories about his his career. But he started off like a silent reporter for the Browns, and he was fired from from the Browns. And you know, listen to him tell the story; it's way funnier. But um, it was just kind of like some relationships with the coach. The players loved him, but some of the the coaches didn't like him. Kind of getting buddy buddy with the players, and they were really bad at the time. Well, he doesn't do that with the Guardians, does he? Oh well, they're fine with it. Though. I know, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, oh, oh, they, yeah, they love you, it. He literally like it's so fun to see someone so happy in their job. Dude. Yeah, yeah. And, but then that's kind of why uh, why he and I talked about why I'm kind of asking you about it is because he's like it's it's not like someone like me or someone that's kind of working a job. And there's nothing wrong with working. Most of us don't love what we do. We do it because we gotta survive and pay bills and eat and all that shit that's kind of required. Um, but. I lose my job tomorrow. I do what I did in COVID. I'm like, all right, man, gearing up. I got to find another job. But when you lose the thing that you really, really love, that also was your livelihood. Yeah. I mean, when you're literally working, you're, 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 he's like, yeah, it's an added pressure. Like, I probably feel more pressure because I don't want to lose that or have that same feeling. Well, I've, lost, when he's I, like, oh. I've lost plenty of jobs. Yeah. Um, I've lost writing jobs. I've lost, you know, like free times essentially went away. It's like not long after I, I started there, I lost that job and I thought, fuck, you yeah. know, like, there it goes. Um, Plain Dealer, you know, stopped hiring me because they stopped hiring all freelancers. So it hasn't been just a straight upward, you know, thing. It's been up and down. But, you know, fortunately, like, I'm, uh, you know, there's always kind of been a couple things. And I believe I've written for everybody. Like, I used to write about, uh, like, washing machines and, and, like, home maintenance for online sites. I mean, I've written for um, Edible Cleveland, of course. I've written for... Um, you know, Northern Ohio Live. I mean, I've written for literally every publication. Um, I've, there was years when I was just cobbling, cobbling together, you know, freelance articles from here and there and there. So it hasn't been, you know, always uh, just a straight upward curve or upward line. So I know what it's like to lose a, a gig and, and think that it's going to be over. But 
fortunately, there has always been, you know, something A, to keep me going and something B, to look forward to. Good. I'm glad. I think a lot of us are glad. <laughs> right. Um, so I, you, you mentioned some of the things like the, the, the high points, the accomplishments and things like that. But, you know, obviously you still got a lot of time left. Uh, what what do you want to do? Is there something that you kind of, I mean, you, you, you talked about the books, obviously the, 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 the writing, the relationships, doing the things you love, the, the, the bestsellers, those are all amazing. But you, you're also talking about, and you can tell by the way you d- describe the things you do, is that, you know, you want to keep going in the consistency and keep doing those things. So what are some of the, like, what are additional goals you have maybe you haven't done or that you would like to do, branching out? Like, what are some of those that are kind of like on your bucket list? Well, I, I don't have a novel in me, so you won't see the great American novel coming out of me. Um, I'm not one of those writers who, you know, who, who thinks that, like, oh, my God, I'm, you know, uh, or, or poetry. But... Um, we, I want to do more travel writing, always do. Like, I love being able to kind of combine travel with writing. Um, the, you know, the kind of the, the downside of that is you're actually working when you're traveling. Like, yeah. I know it doesn't seem like work, but, like, you're interviewing people. You're, you're going to places and taking notes and doing things that you wouldn't normally do on a vacation. So I don't do enough of it as I should. Um, but the nice thing about, when you know, doing those things is you can sell the stories um, and maybe write off part of that travel, you know, part of the travel expenses. You're not going to get everything for free. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like junkets, you know, where like I'm staying at a free resort, yeah. but like real travel writing. Um, my wife and I bought a, a motorhome, a, a 30 year old motorhome, right at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020. And we've been camping uh, quite a bit the last few years. And we, looking at the market of the, uh, the books out there, that cover kind of RV stuff, it's lacking. And we see a really, a really good need, a really strong need for something that's hip, it's modern, it's cooking, it's lifestyle, it's redoing things, it's stocking the thing, it's camping uh, in an RV. It's so, um, we've been taking a lot of notes and working on kind of an outline for that kind of book where uh, I think, you know, uh, obviously, RV, RVing and camping and all that stuff has gone like through the roof the last few years since the pandemic. Um, it's something that we are really passionate about. We spend most of our summer kind of just getting in there and going. Yeah. But there's a lot of really kind of, you know, nitty gritty stuff that makes it easier or make it better or make it funner um, that I think would make a good book. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Like so that. that's that's high on my list. Well, we'll look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um. Is there a place, and I don't want to ask you, like, what are the best places? Because it, it's, it's well, one, a question you've probably been asked a thousand times. Is there a place in Cleveland that you think people should just know more about? Like a place you're like, for some reason, like it's a gem. And it, you'd, or, you know, and I'll even include East Cleveland, too, just in case you want to branch out a little bit more. I think there's always places like that. You know, like, I think we're too, you know, kind of wrapped up in the new. Um, you know, we talk about... <clears throat> Like places like Prosperity Social Club, you know, we talk about Cleveland yeah. places. We lost a lot of, you know, the Sokolowskis of the world, whatever. But like, we still have plenty. We have Nate's Deli. You know, I can't go to the market without hitting Frank. You know, Frank's Bratwurst for a Bratwurst. Um, I love Dash Schnitzel House in Parma. Um, we, you know, Ballatin is in in a bit of a transition right now. Um, they are about to open, I think, out in Bainbridge. But you know, these are places where, like, like I said, like go to. Go to the places in your neighborhoods, you know, the Hex, the Beardens, Tommy's on Coventry, Corky and oh. Lenny's, for God's sakes, Jack's Deli, Tommy's. you know. These are, you know, I know that, like, I'm going to get a call. I don't know this, but like, you're going to get a call that, like, this place is closing next week, and you're going to be so sad about it. 
um, go to those places. We just did Tommy's like two weeks ago. I can't. We can't go to uh, the the East Side, especially in the Coventry, and not. It's just the. I want to go to a lot of the other places I do, and there's some places over there that I really like, but it's so hard to pass up going to Tommy's. Yeah, I mean, you worked in the restaurant, but I, I supported myself all through all through law school, uh, and earlier high school, college, law school, doing every single job at a restaurant that there is, from literally like short order cook to bartender to, and we know how hard it is. Um, it's never been harder than it is right now because of staffing, because of the cost of food, because of the competition, because of all these things that are making everything ten times harder. So, uh, if you th- if you're surprised by the number of places closing right now, you're just not paying attention, like we said earlier. So, yeah. all you can do is support the places you love, and um, you know, hopefully, you can kind of help them weather the storm if that's even a thing. Uh, I think it is. At least the ones that I know, I mean, that's kind of how they, that's definitely how they describe like 2021 uh, is weathering the storm. You yeah. Know, a lot of them were putting up, you know, I mean, you know, this, a lot of them were just putting up signs when you walk in saying, hey, we thank you so much for coming. Please be patient with us. We yeah. are drastically understaffed. Right. So, and, and tip heavily. And just so everyone, because you were referencing, just so everyone knows, uh, the first interaction that uh, Doug and I had um <laughs> Was uh was on Twitter. I don't pay that much attention to Twitter. Um, I, I'll post about the episodes and everything, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. But I got a, I had a message uh, on Twitter, and it was from you, and it basically, <laughs> basically, you pointed out a grammatical error in my right. uh, my bio. Right. But I wasn't a dick about it. No, I, mean, I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, it should be. Uh, it, well, it's the 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 classic. You know, the philosophy, possessive versus whatever. Yes. Yeah, and believe me, you're not the only person. I, oh, I, I know. I mean, like, ask. I mean, there's probably a lot of people listening to, to this right now. Would be like, um, you know, there are restaurant owners, there are whatever. Like, I just saw this, and if it were me, I would want to know. That's yeah. how I approach everything. I'm like, I'm not calling you stupid or a dummy oh, no, or anything like funny. that. I'm like, uh, I'm constantly proofreading. That's my wife. I'm proofreading absolutely everything, and that's all I'm doing. I told, uh, man, I show that to my wife. I was like, hey, uh, Doug Trainer just hit me up on Twitter. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He uh, pointed out a grammatical error in my bio. And she's like, what was it? And I told her, she's like, you should know that. Yeah, and I'm sure, like you said, had you thought twice about like, like rereading it or reading oh, yeah. it. You know? yeah. yeah, sorry. No I'm, a, I'm an, an audio person. I'm still not very good at, the, at, at writing or punctuation or, well, much anything else. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, this was fun. I'm really glad that you came. Um, I'm really glad that uh, that we were able to, uh, to 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 link up. Uh, I mean, again, this has been um, this has been a lot different than uh, some of the other ones that I have. Uh, it, just because, again, of the, your background and you know, I talk to a lot of people that are kind of in a way getting started or kind of just really taken off. But you've really kind of been a staple for you know. 20 plus years is that your way of saying i'm old no no not at all <laughs> I, I mean w- w- i mean that's a, when i say a staple i mean that that's i mean that fully as a compliment because it's so hard to stay kind of if you want to call it relevant or just you know working in in, in your industry you know yeah. over especially when things are changing you know the, the, the way that things have changed and you've been just kind of rolling with the punches and moving along adapting whatever you want to call it i mean that's you know, changing from like, you know, like the, the forties to the fifties and the sixties versus changing from like, you know, the eighties, nineties, two thousands to 20. I mean, that that's very, very different in terms of like the way that people are receiving information, receiving news, finding news. Right. I don't know if they can do an accurate test on this, but I have a 
sneaking suspicion that the attention span is drastically lower than right. what it used to be. Right. I you don't don't be that like grumpy old person, whoever you are. Like yeah. just stay curious. You know, stay up with technology, and and you'll be fine. Like you can't let the world pass you by. Um, I've never felt that way. I'm I'm passionate about you know technology and social media and all those things, and in in just following this food thing as far as it'll go because I love watching things change too. You know, yes, I'm sad about things closing. We all are, um, but it's a fact of life. Yeah. You know, I've been traveling long enough to see places that I loved in other cities go away. It's happening here too. It'll continue to happen. All we can do is support the places that we love. Agreed. Yes. Well, that's it, man. Again, uh, I do appreciate you coming and, and taking the time and talking to me about everything that you do and everything that you're going to do. It was really interesting. It was awesome meeting you. Um, uh, quick update for anyone that uh, that has been paying attention. So uh, we do have a live show coming up March 24th, Funkinship Brewing. Um, it's going to be myself, Ken Schneck from the, uh, the Buckeye Flame. Uh, Brian Sternick is going to be hosting. Brian Kenny and Bill Squire are all going to be doing sets and trying to finalize a musical guest to close everything out. Uh, I have a couple in mind. Hopefully I'll get that ironed out soon. But uh, tickets are in the bio, so please check that out um, on the Eventbrite. Really simple. Uh, not sure exactly how many tickets we're going to get. I'm meeting with them actually this week, so I'll give everyone some updates and posts on that. There's still tickets available, so please check that out. I'd love to see everyone out there and uh, do another live show with everyone. So, um, Doug, where can we find your stuff? Um, well... You can find, uh, what do you mean? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm on social media, uh, Doug Tratner on Instagram, Doug Tratner on Twitter, uh, and DouglasTratner.com on the inter-worldwide webs. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, yeah, please check out, uh, um, you know, on, on social media. Uh, don't reach out unless your bio is completely clean. Mm -hmm. of oh, no, or you want it edited. <laughs> <laughs> or you need some, some advice. Free, some free editing. And uh, check out the reviews. Check them out on uh, on scene. And just uh, that's it. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. it was I nice appreciate it, you. too. Thanks for having me. It was All fun. All right.